0: I also like to welcome all of you to the retreat. My name is Joseph. For those of you who have not met Alan before, he was a monk in Burma and Sri Lanka for about four years. Came back and during the last three month course, taught with us as a monk, as a bhikkhu, under the name of Agasara, recently returned to Asia to disrobe and is now teaching under the alias of Alan. Munindraji, who is my teacher in India, was supposed to be here tonight. Unfortunately, he is not feeling very well. He's quite sick. He was teaching in Florida, teaching a retreat down there, and just a couple of days ago we heard that. He was sick with a high fever. So hopefully he'll be here sometime this week. Um, Let you know how that's progressing. Coming to a retreat, it's really. Placing ourselves in a very protected and special environment. And it's designed to support one purpose. And that purpose is the development and cultivation of a systematic and refined awareness. Most of us lead pretty busy lives. Busy with work, busy with family, with friends, with interpersonal relationships. We run around a lot. And often in that speed of activity, it's often difficult to stay balanced. And it's also difficult to develop the the necessary stillness of mind to penetrate to a deeper understanding of who we are, what this mind-body process is about. So often we lead our lives playing out habit patterns of conditioned, habituated behavior without a real understanding. We get caught in our own neurotic tendencies, our own neurosis out of ignorance, out of not seeing, out of not understanding. The purpose of the retreat is to enable us to penetrate both into the patterns of our mind, the patterns of our bodily energy, and also to go underneath those patterns to the source, to the stillness out of which our lives emerge. So, it's a tremendously creative and exciting process. It's slowing down enough and taking care enough to pay impeccable attention to the nature of our experience, to the small details of what we're doing. And out of that attentiveness, out of that care, out of that impeccability, we begin to develop a very profound understanding of the nature of our lives, the nature of existence. And out of that understanding comes peace, because we are able then to harmonize ourselves, to integrate our actions with the truth of our experience. It's not easy. The Buddha likened this path of awakening to swimming upstream. The current is going the other way. The force of desire, of wanting, of anger, of aversion, of comparing, of judging, of thinking, of daydreaming, as you will see within the first 20 minutes of your sitting practice, how strongly those forces are conditioned in the mind. And to develop awareness and attention, it's an upriver swim. There are some kinds of meditation which are designed to create a space of bliss. This is not one of those kinds of meditations. (laughs) So if you have come for that, you should see Steve in the Mm office after this talk or now it is definitely not a bliss trip. It's a trip into the nature of things, into how things are, without interfering, without creating anything special. What the meditation does is to cultivate that mindfulness or attention into the entire range of our experience. And in this next nine or ten or twenty days, if you're staying for both retreats, whether it's the first time you've come to a formal retreat or the hundredth time, it's going to be a ride. It's going to be a journey through your mind. And it's all in there. There are times that you think you're going to die of boredom, or restlessness, or agitation, or pain. By way of encouragement, we have never lost anybody to boredom, restlessness, agitation, or pain, by way of death. (laughs) And there's also, at times, tremendous interest and excitement and fascination and real penetrating concentration and focus. And you'll wish you were staying for months. And it's always changing. Knowing that or being reminded of that, can help to create for you a balance behind all these changes. Know that what the practice is about is the development of an increasingly refined perception of the nature of the mind, the nature of the body. What we're practicing is a more and more microscopic attention to what our experience actually is. And you'll see that this awareness, this attention, contrasts very strongly and sharply with our usual pattern, our usual habit of being lost in thought. For those of you who are new to the practice, I think you will be quite amazed to see how much of the time our minds spend lost in thought, that is carried away by thought without knowing, as if we're asleep, as if we're dreaming. And it's quite startling to discover how much of our lives are spent Not present, not awake. But rather than that be the source of discouragement, it's actually the first first strong, the first powerful insight. This is called the Insight Meditation Society. That's the first insight that the mind wanders. You will all have ample opportunity to observe that. And from that insight, from that understanding, we slowly begin to develop the power and the stability of mind, both to be more aware of the wandering and to come back again and again to actually what's happening in our experience in the moment. There are some guidelines which will be very helpful to you in this practice. We've, we've taught lots and lots and lots of retreats. And over the years of both our own practice and working with people, there are certain things which emerge as being amazingly helpful. And so just to share with you the, the fruit of that experience, The first of these suggestions, to the degree that you're able, be patient. Because it's not an instant process. It's not that you sit down and the mind opens up to this great cosmic bliss and you just cruise for the next ten days. Trungpa Rinpoche, the Tibetan meditation master. He likened meditation to manual labor. That's much more what it's like, especially in the beginning. And so you have to get into the rhythm of it. You have to be patient. This patience means being aware that the ups and downs of practice are part of the practice. It doesn't mean that something's going wrong, or it's a mistake, or you're not doing it right. Part of the exploration of the discovery is the going through the ups and downs of feeling great and feeling depressed, feeling happy and feeling sad and bored and excited, the whole range. And I know that when people come on the first night and hear about being patient and that things change in their ups and downs, People are kind of mentally nodding and saying, that's fine. See if you can make a point to remember tomorrow afternoon at about four (laughs) o'clock. The first day especially, I think, just the, the whole process of settling in is difficult and it's hard. Remember that all of that which happens... The frustration, the boredom, the pain, whatever, is part of it. Be patient with it, because it will all settle out. Being patient. Being balanced behind the changes. One of the greatest gifts of the retreat center, of this place, And the gifts that you give yourself and to one another will be the gift of silence. Those of you who have not experienced an extended period of silence may be somewhat apprehensive about it. It's actually one of the most delightful and healing and peaceful and clarifying elements of the retreat. It's wonderful to be silent. It creates a spaciousness and a stillness in which the nature of our experience is so clearly illuminated. Take delight in the fact that you don't have to speak to anybody. You don't have to relate to anybody. This is a time for you to be with yourself. Respect the silence, both for yourself and other people, and enjoy the silence. Because the time will go very quickly, and before you know it, this blip of a retreat is going to be over, and you'll be back in the world, engaging and talking, a special time and the silence is, is a wonderful part of it. Being patient, being silent. Really cultivating that sense of aloneness. Be alone. Now we come together as a group and the group gives a tremendous amount of support. And the structure gives support. But let the silence and let the sense of inwardness be the predominant tone of your retreat. Take this time for yourself. As, as Steve mentioned, even avoiding eye contact with people, you don't have to get tight behind that or make a trip of it, but it's just that sense of having one's energy inward in, a, in an investigative way, in a careful and attentive way. It's very helpful. A reiteration of something he said, to please not use the telephone. You will find that if you use the telephone, your next four sittings will be a rehashing of the conversation so be aware of that and, and try not to don't read and don't write because all of that is all of that is second hand stuff we've done enough reading and now's the time to actually taste the dhamma to taste the truth for ourselves Another big help in developing attentiveness and care is slowing down a lot. Mostly in our lives we move pretty quickly. Here there's nothing to do. It's just sitting and walking and sitting and walking and sitting and walking with occasional meal breaks. Move slowly. The more slowly you go, the more care you can take in paying attention to your experience. You also have to use some common sense with it. Because there'll be times when the very slow movement's not appropriate. When you're in line for lunch and there are fifty people behind you, or you're in the bathroom, or you're washing the dishes, that's not the time you know, to make these microscopic movements. So use just your ordinary common sense wisdom. Those are times to practice quick mindfulness. For the most part though, other than those times, you will find that slowing down is a help. Not in the sense of kind of tightening and holding yourself back, Just relaxing into the moment. The practice is one of softening, of opening, of relaxing, of settling back. All of this will become increasingly clear as you get into the retreat and begin the practice. Just staying alone, being silent, being patient, being balanced, slowing down. follow the instructions. The meditation instructions will be given start tonight and then will be elaborated upon every morning at the 8 o'clock sitting. Probably many of you have done other kinds of practices and techniques. For the time that you're here, it will be most helpful to follow the instructions as they're given in a systematic way. And it will enable you to get as deep an understanding as possible of this practice. At the end of the retreat, then you'll be able to evaluate it for yourself. But if you start mixing a lot of things during the retreat, it's going to get confusing for you. something that I would like to emphasize, which if if you can hear it deeply, will very much facilitate the quick deepening of your practice, and that is that meditation does not mean thinking about things. There will be thoughts. Thoughts are going to come and go, and that's not much of a problem. And we'll talk about how to relate to them in a skillful way. But it doesn't mean that you sit and think about things, whether it's thinking about your work, or your family, or your relationship, or the meditation, you know, or the talks. Meditation is happening on another level than the thought level. So this is by way of informing you that you shouldn't choose to sit and think. There will be enough thoughts that come without choosing to do it. So just so that there's no confusion in your mind about that. You'll see that that restraint sitting and choosing to fantasize about things will very much help you to strengthen the concentration and awareness and focus and you can go much deeper in a much shorter time. You know, when you look out at night, you look up at the sky, you see the stars, and maybe if you've ever looked through a telescope and seen you know, the endless number of stars and galaxies and just get a sense of the vastness of the universe. As vast as the outer space is, that's how vast the inner space is. Mostly in our lives, we've been going out. We've been looking outward. And it's incredibly fascinating. The retreat is a time to turn that attention around and to begin to explore inwardly. And there's this incredible space and levels of reality to experience. It takes patience. It takes practice. We have to learn how to develop the tools of the investigation. And that's really what the retreat will be about. It's a training time. It's a training in learning how to use the tool of attention as a way of making this fantastic exploration and discovery. It goes very deep. It's very profound. It goes to the very center of who we are. Sometimes, as I come back to the center here from you know, teaching in other places, I wander around the buildings and I'm always just kind of opening closets and going into place and finding things that I didn't know were here. I was in the laundry room today and somebody had put up something on the wall, which I thought was so nice, so I thought to share my find with you. it it really sets the, the tone for the undertaking of the practice. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy and the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events, issues from the decision raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no one could have dreamt would have come their way. I have learned a deep respect for the following lines. Whatever you can do or dream, you can begin it. Boldness has genius, power and magic in it. That's the quality of commitment to this undertaking, to this journey. boldness of commitment to discover oneself. And there are a lot of obstacles on the way and a lot of hindrances and a lot of difficulties. And all of them are part of the journey. And we'll be talking a lot about what they are and how to deal with them. But as we practice more and more, the mind gets focused and penetrating and this incredible power and magic begins to emerge. It's the magic of discovering the mind. So, before we begin with the meditation instructions, Alan will talk a little bit about very traditional way we have of opening retreats of the refuges and precepts. He'll explain that.
1: I too would like to extend a very warm welcome to all of you here. It brings me a great deal of happiness to be here with you and to participate in this retreat for the next nine days or if you're staying for the entire 18 days. As Joseph mentioned, traditionally at such retreats as this one, a Vipassana retreat, or an insight meditation retreat, we begin by taking refuge in the Buddha, in the Dhamma, and in the Sangha. And these are Pali words. This is the language used during the time of the Buddha. And they're not refuges that are external to ourselves. On the contrary, they're an acknowledgement of our own inner direction of growth, insight, wisdom, a journey of self-discovery. And by taking these refuges, as Trungpa Rinpoche said, the Tibetan meditation teacher, we become refugees. Refugees from the familiar, from certain ways of behaving, habits, conditions, means of self-protection, defenses, securities, and the direction to explore and expand and investigate those areas of ourselves that prevent real love, compassion, freedom, warmth. And by taking refuge in the Buddha, it doesn't mean taking refuge in the man who lived or was said to have lived 2,500 years ago. As we can read, he said himself that Buddhas can but point out the way. No being can liberate another. So by taking refuge in the Buddha, Buddha means the awakened state, a state of freedom, a state of enlightenment, a state of recognition of our true selves. By taking refuge in the Buddha, we're acknowledging our own seeds of purity, our own seeds of awakening in a gradual manner, and perhaps in a more fundamental breakthrough into deeper levels of understanding. It's acknowledging that no one's going to do it for us. We've come here on our own, even though we might live in relationship with various people, which we all do. We're in this game alone. Friends are helpful. Community is helpful. Taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in our own possibility of awakening is recognizing deeply and profoundly that we have to do it ourselves. We have to take that committed responsibility to look at our minds, to look at our bodies, to investigate our life and move in that direction of opening Direction of freedom. Taking refuge in the Dhamma. Dhamma means the law or the way things are happening. There are various processes or functions in how life exists, how it moves, how the mind operates. By taking refuge in the Dhamma, it's acknowledging our willingness to probe and investigate how our lives work, how our minds work. What is this mystery of life? What does it mean to have a mind? What does it mean to have a body? A willingness to probe and look into these areas so essential to the well-being of ourselves and to the planet. Taking refuge in the Dhamma, taking refuge in the Sangha, another Pali word. This has a number of different meanings. Most traditionally it means the Arya Sangha, or the group of individuals who are enlightened, who are free. Another meaning is the Bhikkhu or bhikkhuni sangha, meaning monks and nuns, the monastic order, that's carried the vehicle of dharma for the last 2,500 years, taking refuge in those people who have made that very profound and deep renunciation to pursue a monastic life. In the context of this retreat, and most applicable to all of us, taking refuge in the sangha means taking refuge in the community of all of us willing to look at our life, willing to look at our minds. It's a recognition that comes on a personal basis of really seeing clearly what forces in our mind that prevent real harmony in the community. Forces of fear, mental energies of anger, of greed, of insecurity of mental obscurity, confusion and a real responsibility of working on those things which provide a level of dignity and fluidity among all of us here at the retreat and people on the planet, all life forms. If you would like, which is up to you, Many of us have found it very helpful by taking these refuges which provide a very firm basis to begin our probe within. You can feel free to take them as I repeat them. (coughs) I'll say each of them, and then if you wish, you can say them silently to yourself. I take refuge in the Buddha the possibility of my own awakening. I take refuge in the Dhamma, the willingness to investigate how the mind works, the laws that govern life. I take refuge in the Sangha, taking the responsibility to look at those forces in our mind that breed disharmony among all of us. Also at retreats like this one, we take what's known as the five basic precepts or training rules. And I'll explain them just in brief, as either Joseph or myself will describe them and explain them more fully in talks to come. The precepts, unlike in other traditions, they're not commandments based on some level of fear or sin and punishment. But they're simple mental reminders or training rules that form the basis of a composed and tranquil mind. And without that mental tranquility, it's difficult to see the contents of how the mind is, what makes up and what comprises this mind. A life of Insensitivity in speech and body and action is likened to an ocean windswept in turbulence, difficult to see into the content of that ocean. When our life is in harmony, in synced, doing things based on a sense of compassion and love and skill, the mind becomes composed, a level of joy arises, a level of happiness the mind's ocean becomes calm, easy to look into what comprises that ocean, what comprises the mind, how it works. Also in the context of the retreat, not only are they a personal and inner benefit by following them impeccably, but they optimize the fluidity and harmony of the retreat itself. Being that so many of us are here, nearly a hundred of us they provide the framework for compassionate action compassionate behavior fluidity of living the first precept is the undertaking to refrain from killing or harming living creatures while we're here it's a deep acknowledgement to let other life forms, whether they be the black flies outside, which I'm sure you've encountered by now, or something as simple as an ant, or a fly, any living creature, insects, animals, whatever, a deep recognition to let them live. Just like we feel pain, so too with other creatures. It provides a deep level of respect and happiness in one's own life and mind. The willingness not to take life. The second precept or training rule is to refrain from stealing or taking that which is indirectly given to you. I don't think any of us here steal. By following the training rule not to take which isn't directly given to you eliminates any ambiguity, any doubt. It builds a foundation of trust within the community here, not to take which isn't given. The third training rule of precept is to remain celibate. During the context of this retreat, it's the most appropriate attitude for us to take here, recognizing our own personal willingness to be alone, and to look into our lives and mind. Normally, in worldly conditions, this precept is refraining from sexual misconduct, quite different than remaining celibate. Both of them will be explained more in detail in time to come. While you're here, though, strongly urge to remain celibate And it can become a very beautiful way of spending your time here for the next nine days by really seeing very clearly, in so many subtle ways, how we put out messages through our clothing, through our appearances of, look at me, don't you find me attractive? It's a time to be alone, as it's been mentioned, the time to look at ourselves trying to avoid eye contact, remaining silent. Being with each of us, being by ourselves, using the support of the community to help facilitate our own inner investigation. Remaining celibate. The fourth precept is refraining from wrong speech. Again, it's quite different during the context of this retreat. Here we ask you to undertake the training rule to remain silent. Of course, there'll be opportunity, ample opportunity, to speak either to Joseph or myself in interviews or group discussions, question-and-answer periods after each of the talks at night, or if you need to make contact with Stephen or other staff members, really trying to honor and respect that, remaining silent. The last and final training rule or precept is to refrain from the use of intoxicating substances, whether they be drink, alcohol, any form of drugs, pot, hallucinogenics, Again, it's a time to be by ourselves. Very often, the use of those substances are an escape mechanism, an unwillingness to really look at what's happening in the moment. We want to look at the raw and basic, organic me, not any camouflage. Of course, if there's medical reasons that you need to take the medicine that you're taking, that's perfectly fine. Please know What is an intoxicating substance? And to refrain from that. We deeply, deeply ask you to refrain. Again, all of these precepts will be explained more in length and in depth in time to come. As with the refuges, I'd like to say each of the precepts out loud, and would like to ask you, if you would, to silently take them to yourselves. I undertake the training rule to refrain from killing or harming any life forms. I undertake the training rule to refrain from taking that which is indirectly given to me. I undertake the training rule to remain sexually celibate. I undertake the training rule to remain silent. I undertake the training rule to refrain from the use of intoxicating substances. Before Joseph continues this evening with the basic instructions, once again I would just like to share with you how very touching and how much happiness it brings me to be here with all of you. And I really hope that it's a very fruitful time for all of us. Thank you.